Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, it's Craig Fowler here. Before we get to tonight's show, let me tell you about our sponsors for this week. Manscaped, the men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world! Manscaped offers precise engineered tools for your family jewels, and they have just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TERRACE at manscaped.com. Now, I've been a massive advocate of Manscaped ever since I tried my first razor, as I no longer need to worry about nasty nicks when keeping my pubic region nice and neat. But let me tell you about the latest upgrades. The improved trimmer includes a multifunction on-off switch that can engage your travel lock, means it doesn't start vibrating in your bag. It also gives you the ability to turn the LED spotlight on and off when you need it for a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customise your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 to 4. And how about wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TERRACE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code TERRACE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Hello and welcome to Monday's edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. If you are aware, you'll know my voice. I'm Tony Anderson and I am fortunate on a very special week to be joined by Tom Watt. Hiya, Tom. Hello. How are you doing? I am wonderful. I just got back from Copenhagen as a Plato, so I had a grand time, feel rejuvenated. I feel like I got to do something. But enough about me. We have... A man who is about to get married on Saturday. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. um, uh, It was meant to happen last September, but 
because of the unpleasantness, we've pushed <laughs> it back a year. And uh, by the skin of our teeth, they, they announced that um, folk from the UK can go to Italy. So we're going to go to Italy for a couple of weeks and um, might even try and take in a football match. We'll oh. see. I don't know if the fiancé knows about that, so keep that on the down low. But, I um, think in a two-week window. And you'd think <laughs> we can, you can gather what an hour and a half for the match, the travel, and the bit around it. Four hours around I've football. About that, I think that's fair. I mean, the the only thing is, so we're the the one I kind of earmarked is like if Fiorentina are away when we're in Florence, so I can't do that. But Empoli's just like twenty minutes outside of Florence, and Empoli are playing Sampdoria. So my other half was like, okay, show me what what's nice in Empoli. And I found a video which was like the best parts of Empoli. And the first two minutes was just the football stadium. <laughs> the football stadium, nice little town square. The station, um, very beautiful Tuscan countryside and then more of a football stadium. So uh, we'll see. We'll I've, see. Got, I've got a feeling that your soon-to-be wife isn't zipped up the back, Tom, and <laughs> knows exactly what's happening with going to Empoli. I think, I think, Fair, yeah, I think it's fair enough. I think, I mean, when I, when I originally floated it, I was like, oh, there's a couple of games around about it. There's it, um, Inter Milan against Fiorentina, but that's a week later. There was a, a, a Kievo game, maybe, or, or Roma, I think we're at home, but uh, when we were looking at different places to go. But um, I'm just happy to be going away. If, if we get the football, even better. I'm going to sit in a pub somewhere and watch some Serie A. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because it's uh, my man is the same. If I start telling her we're going to see Juventus v Rome or Roma v Lazio, I can maybe like there'd be a tint of excitement. Um, but maybe when you start going into Empoli, it's Liam Henderson's there. Yeah, exactly. Who? Who? Uh, he delivers. <laughs> Tell her that, <laughs> and everything will be a okay. I went. I was in Scotland. I was in Denmark when the Scotland game. I couldn't get tickets, um, but I met. Some of the Tartan army, and like mine was just a holiday. I barely the only thing I'd done was watch the game in a in an Irish bar, and the rest of the time I was trying to be rather cultural and, and mm. sort of potter about Copenhagen and, and do it as a do it as a holiday. But yeah, I met some of the Tartan army, five of them or something, who managed to get over. Um, they were quite annoying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the stories about losing their phones in Slovenian stadiums. Uh, and that, that there's no like there was no punchline or anything. Just I uh, lost my phone in my wallet, and that was it. I mean, that just sounds bad, man. There's no sort of like there's no there's no punchline the humor of what happened. Just being absolutely wrecked. In a you've got to, but you can't. You're not a proper foot soldier of the Tartan Army unless you've lost something of incredible value in a central or eastern European location. <laughs> yeah. So they they said they got tickets. So I hope they enjoyed it. Um, but before we go into talking about the game on Saturday against Moldova, which we are here to talk about, as well as number 20 on the list of the 50 most memorable uh, Scotland games, arguably this one might be the most memorable for, for, for various reasons. But I need to mention the review from the terrace, which I'm sure people listening might have noticed on our Twitter feed and Facebook, which is a really exciting time for the podcast in general. And um, it's something that's been in the in the works for a, for a long time. I know you've been involved, Tom, and done mm-hmm. a few. And um, it's something we're, we're, we're really proud and excited to be getting into because we believe that there might be room for this. Yeah, it's been good fun. We've done a good, done a good few. I don't want to don't want to give too much away, but um, yeah, you'll get to hear us 
talking about things that we like and don't like quite so much, and a couple of things that I downright hated, and a couple of things that, if you know, yeah, the, the sort of an insight into uh, the shit that we chat in the WhatsApp group, <laughs> yeah. but um, on all things music and football and mu- now music and football and films and TV and all sorts. Yeah, and even wrestling. Uh, and wrestling. Um, a wrestling one. Uh, a view from the turnbuckle uh, being the name of that. So right now we've got a, we're just going to be floating a, a peep show podcast. So there's 10 episodes of a peep show podcast that, that about six or seven of us have been involved in. Uh, Fowler and his cousin are doing a Still Game podcast, which is exciting and, and very Scottish. We've got the Scottish Rewatchables, which is us reviewing movies of um, Scottish heritage. Some of them are very tenuous links, but we've done, <laughs> we've went for them nonetheless. And then we, as, as Tom mentioned, we'll be doing a music podcast. So these will be evolving and changing as time. But as Tom said, it'll be music, wrestling, TV and movies. And, and now it's just a review from the terrace. So this has, we can branch out whatever way we feel that people might be interested in hearing us, Talk, I can't wait till we get into the things we're really un, uneducated about. Can't wait for a, a gaming, a gaming one. That'll be fun. Um, but Fowler, of course, would like you all to subscribe to it and tell all your friends about it and leave us all the five-star reviews on iTunes. And that is me begging. We want this to work really well. So we've got more people than just us involved and we're looking to branch that out. So it's a really exciting time for the podcast. And if it's someone that's been listening to us for a while, like I know some of you will be, uh, we th- really appreciate your support all these years and another push. And maybe you might find something intre- else interesting apart from me and Tom talking about St. Johnston's back three or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we should, we, should, we should maybe mix it up one time and go from St. John- so from St. Johnston to the new film by Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> Uh, but we are are here we are here to talk about Scotland Moldova to start with which all round Tom was a pretty let's not be let's be frank it was a dire night even though we got out with the three points it was grim it was grim viewing it was it was it was painfully boring like well, we can get get I mean, get get the positives out of the way. We won, and there has been a time when a win over Moldova wasn't a given. Um, and Billy Gilmore was really good. Other than that, we were kind of like that. Anything other than a win was completely unacceptable. We were looking for a bit of a performance, a bit of cohesion, something approaching a, a fuller house at Hamden, and, and to give them a bit of joy. Um, to play a bit of football, to score a few goals. I mean, it's a Moldovan side that have been absolutely leaking goals right, left and centre. And to just, you know, to, to turn it on a bit, to to show that there was a, there was a bit of spark about this team. Um, and there wasn't really an awful lot to to get excited about at all. I mean, Lyndon Dykes scores Scotland goal 1-0 up early on. Um, and we were kind of expecting at that. I mean, certainly I was expecting, right, okay, anything less than like a 3 0 win is just not really even par for the course. Um, and there were just too many on the night that didn't click, that, that couldn't find anything above a, a second gear um, with, the, with, a, with a couple of notable 
exceptions. Um, and yeah, we won. Yeah, we move on to the game midweek against Austria, which is at the very least a must not lose uh, must not lose game. Probably, I would like to think that given the way that they're they're playing at the moment, we we hope for a little bit more than that. Well, for the jugular, I, really. Well, I mean, if 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 Israel are putting five past them, um, and if history over the last three years has shown that we are. Nothing if not as good as Israel, repeatedly as good as Israel. Then, um, yeah, you would hope that we would go for the jugular and 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 we would take a fairly significant step towards at least finishing second. But Saturday was... I don't want to get too caught up in it because we won and, yeah, we got three points, but it, there was so little to get excited about. And what was what was frustrating for me in that is... It wasn't a particularly experimental lineup. No. Uh, like, I mean, maybe Nisbet getting his first start over Adams was was maybe one. Uh, Patterson coming in, although I mean, what, what most people, if they don't want him to be the like the starting guy, he's on the brink of becoming that guy. Regardless, the back three was pretty much the back three that we, we're, we're expecting. Going forward, and then McGinn was playing, was back, and, and Gilmore was was in the team. So we're really kicking about that being our best team. <laughs> um, all yeah, and in all honesty, that is, and to see that not click, to see the shape not work again, um, starting to how how long? I mean, I know the guy's done this to the death, maybe on, on a podcast recently. How long would you, Tom, be sticking with with this shape? Which, frankly, it's 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 not work. It's not really given us performances, even if it has at times brought us a few results. Um, I think it it's tricky because I I think there are, there is more to it than just the the shape. I think there were flickers of the shape working really well. I think when when we had I can't even remember which game it was. Uh, but the, the, when we had Dykes and Forrest with McGinn pushed up quite close uh, as the sort of front three, if you will, mm-hmm. that 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 seems to have quite a lot of promise. There's, you know, you've you've got Endeavour, you've got someone who's direct, you've got someone who who can kind of arrive late in the box and can get him behind. And at that point, I thought, right, this is this is obviously the way that that things are going, and, and this is the way forward. I also think that when Steve Clark came in, the biggest question was how do you get Andy Robertson and Kieran Tierney in, into the same team? He's got that, and he has he's got that, and it largely has worked. Um, worked in the sense that we're getting a fair amount out of our two best players. Like we didn't necessarily on the Saturday, but the, in the system, I don't think that there, there's not going to be any questions at any point anymore about. Kieran Tierney in the back three and Andy Robertson playing in front of them. So I think, to that sense, those are solved problems. Yeah, and also allows we we've got a big tactic as Tierney is a sort of attacking centre half, as you like that. That's clear, and and it does seem to work. I can see why. I know a lot of people want to see Tierney maybe on the right of getting them both in, but I personally feel like that 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 takes away his, his main attribute, which is his ability to go on the outside. And get to the byline and put in really good crosses from that area. If he's always coming inside, and I'm sure he could play one twos, and I'm sure he could drive into the box, but I feel like he'd be taking away his best attribute while still 
having his weaker attribute of defending a back post as a wing back still be it would still be apparent. So I don't really know how much we gain from it personally. I know there'll be many people out there who 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 would who would disagree with with that. Um, I agree, Megan. I think we are going to see maybe pushing him forward. It'll be interesting to see if McTominay would come in. Uh, into the midfield or if he goes back into the back three and Ryan Christie again just he's had some his Scotland form was surviving during the the hell that was his Celtic season last season but that's now he's had good moments this season for Celtic even though he still had some some really poor games it's like how the the really frustrating thing with Christie is he's got such a really high high ceiling and a really low like point of like his worst position, his worst mm. points. And that's really because you're getting like the, the 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 gulf in what you can get and what you do get sometimes is is incredibly frustrating. I think so. And I think uh, personally more than the system, more than the formation, and I don't know if this is something that Steve Clark can address, has to address, is in any way responsible for, but all too often for Scotland good players who we know have uh, have been playing well or or have had a good run, at least for Scotland, just haven't turned up in key games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for 18 months, John McGinn was kind of, everything was running through him and everything good that we did was going through him. At, at the moment, it's not working for Ryan Christie. A year ago, it wasn't working for Andy Robertson. When he first kind of went into the back three, Scott McTominay, it, it just wasn't working for him. Um you know, there's other examples. I don't think it worked for for Nisbet on uh, at the weekend either. And I think maybe we need to look a little bit more at the players who are like international football is not just about building a squad. Sometimes it's just about who's hot at the moment. So maybe you know, Christie has had not had a good run of form for a good wee while. Maybe we should have given Turnbull more. Uh, Mm-hmm. You know more minutes because he has started the season incredibly well. Maybe we need to McTominay not being available at the moment, but maybe we need to mix the midfield up, push McGinn forward when he was at his think, best. When he was at his best previously, yeah, yeah exactly. And and it, you get the the few times that I didn't think he had a particularly bad game. I just don't think he was able to impact the game that way that he would have a year ago. And the few times that you saw, right, that's what he's doing best was where he was breaking from midfield. Like the, the I mean, saying the Moldovans couldn't get the ball off and they were incredibly poor. And even when they upped the pace a little bit in the second half, there weren't really a huge threat. But the the, the few times that, John McGinn got on the ball and was able to sort of break from the halfway line into the into their half showed how where I think he's been most effective for Scotland. So, like personally speaking, I don't think the problem necessarily is the formation. I think that there's just too many. Callum McGregor, another one who just for one reason or another haven't turned up, and if three or four of them don't turn up in any one match especially in a game when you just need somebody to raise the tempo a little bit <laughs> you're going to get games like this when everyone's I mean Moldova looked relatively happy with a 1-0 mm-hmm. we were all right we've won this game let's get on and th- there is a little bit of that but but you need somebody to go right I'm going to take charge of this I think you've made a, a really good point about never being able to get anyone on form at the same time 
so like as you said Robertson a year ago struggled but then towards the Euros and in the Euros he, he was pretty good uh, and, and he had some really good performances uh, as you, you mentioned again like, towards last year Christie had a really good period and then he comes off at the same time and then Callum McGregor is, 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 as I said is another really good example the only person that seems to have just come in and just been good right away with no mucking around is Billy Gilmore mm. and he's he's a he's a pleasure to watch he's yeah. in terms of pure talent he's just uh, as good as we've produced in a long time i think and he just doesn't look like a scottish football player in any style at all and it's exciting that maybe we've got guys maybe like it's, it's that maybe not as good as him but maybe more in the style of that real comfort on the ball not just good on the ball like mcginn or mcgregor but actually like real top notch can play short, can play long, can dictate a tempo. Because Gilmore's the kind of guy that can help us go away from home in games against maybe not the very best to win, although he proved that against against England during the Euros. But against those teams like Austria, the teams that you want to compete with, where it's still really hard to go away and, and for us to win, suddenly with a guy like Gilmore, he gives you a chink of light where, well, maybe you could because we could just keep giving the ball to him playing off um similar and I mean if you bring Ryan Jack back in you start I start I mean some people might not like me saying this because I'm talking about Rangers but I start seeing that maybe you could get a vibe like what Rangers have in Europe when it's it's Jack um Kamara and Davis and they go away from home in Europe and suddenly they're able to compete really well in, in tougher grounds because really the, the 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 possession starts to get to like 50-50, even mm-hmm. goes more towards mm-hmm. you. You're never under the cosh for for too long and you can really sort of play your way into the game and um and and, and obviously create some chances. I think that I think that's a really good point. I think Scotland there there are a number overall, and this is not a slight on Ryan Jack there are a number of overall more talented midfielders in the Scotland squad than Ryan Jack but I don't think there's another one like him yeah I don't think I think like him missing the Euros was such a huge loss because we don't have anyone like him that that does what he what he does I, I think with Gilmore he's got he was the one player who was who, who understood when to slow things down and understood when to like break with the ball, when to speed things up. Like, and I don't want to get to, you know, I don't want to get carried away, but like what, what Luka Modric did to us in the Euros mm-hmm. when it was like, right, this needs to go sideways. This just needs, we need to take the sting out of this and kill this. Now, right now we're going to go a hundred miles an hour and I, I can do this. And I like, I can make this happen. Like he's a long way from that, obviously, but he was the one player who, admittedly, against inferior opposition, was able to go right. Like we, we just need. To, I just need to take control of this, not give the ball away, play a simple pass. Now I know what I need to do. Right? Okay, I'll sidestep this man, and I've got space to run into. For me, the most impressive thing that he did all game, like he he should have scored. He had like two, I mean two good chances, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the one in particular where. Which I mean, it was all his own endeavour, so fair enough. But but just a bit of a cooler head, or maybe letting the ball come across him and hit it outside your foot to the opposite post. But for me, the most impressive thing, and I haven't seen a Scottish player do this in maybe thirty years, was part of the way through the first half when the ball went over his head out on mm-hmm. the left hand side, 
and he took one touch to kill it and then another to to move it away from his body. And that we've not had a a midfielder, like a central midfielder who who was doing that sort of thing and could would would want to do that sort of thing. Like it, it was so patient, it was so natural. Yeah, the the way the way that like the very best players seem to be playing the game at their own pace. The way mm. that like and again I'm not getting carried away. I'm not comparing him to these sorts of players, but like the way that as a Dan or a Modric or, or players like that that just seemed to be doing things at a totally different pace to to everyone else around about. They seem to have more time. They seem to make more like time does something different around them. And not getting but if if Gilmore can keep doing what he's doing, if he can keep developing, if he can get a good season of of first team football in the Premier League with Norwich this season, go back to and force his way in at Chelsea, then there is no reason why Scotland can't build a build a team around him. He was the one thing that he was the one player who was making things happen every time he got on the ball. And then the exciting thing that would come with that is, as I said, with with, with Jack coming back, hopefully getting back to his abilities and that may, maybe McTominay ends up going into the back three I think that is where he will, will end up he was starting to edge back towards that uh, in, in recent games before he got injured and then McGinn can push into that attacking midfield role and then you've got the debate about whether you play sort of Christie Dykes or Adams and maybe one of your quicker players like Fraser or Foster in a uh, sorry Fraser or Forrest in, in like a front three or you go natural front two with Dykes and Adams, and it starts to the, the parts start to make a bit more sense, maybe. And and like that midfield, Gilmore and Jack sounds like the sensible midfield that we need. And they are that maybe Gilmore and McGregor. But again, we've discussed it. McGregor, not every game. I'm not saying he's shit in every game. I mean, he had some he had some great games recently, and in, in Serbia especially, and during the Euros, he had he had some decent games. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't ignore the, the mountain of bad games he, he's had as well. But before criticising, I thought before we move on and stuff, we need to talk about maybe other the other two players who sort of been very, very new on the scene. Patterson and Nisbet, who they did, despite Nisbet not really, he, he didn't look like he was in tune with the rest of the team. And that's something that I'm happy to wait and see because it is a tough one. I mean, we're asking Nisbet to move up a level almost every single season the last three years. So I am happy to sort of bide my time on that, even though I'm still not sure he is quite good enough to, to be up front for Scotland, but until I'm in tune. But he did show two major signs of quality. He created sort of Scotland's two best opportunities, the, the one that led to the first goal, which is sort of great from Patterson. You see everything you want from Patterson driving playing a one-two, having the freedom to go into the box and without, and then sort of hitting a, a clever shot early with, from the pass in his bit, and then it, obviously Dykes falling in and scoring. Um, I don't know, is there anything you'd like to, to say about those guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I was impressed with Patterson largely. I think he, he had, a, especially in the first half, I think he maybe was, he had a couple of little defensive lapses in the second half, but I think going forward, um, I think it, I think he did enough that if everybody's fit, he will be Scotland's first choice right back for the uh, you know foreseeable for the, for, for the foreseeable. Um, I don't know how like how long he holds on to that. I think eventually you need to break into the Rangers team or or find football elsewhere because the, there will be others that that come up that 
you know, we, we need him to keep developing at the top level because from what we saw from a, a very young player, especially going forward, he's the best option we've had since for, I don't know, 13, 14 years since mm-hmm. like peak Alan Hutton. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there, there is a, there's an awful lot of promise there. Um, Nisbet probably has a bit more wiggle room because Scott, the, the one area we still don't have a huge amount of quality is in, is in the forward areas, I think. Yeah, so he will get time. He will get time he, in that He will squad. get time and he will get, he will get the possibility to, you know, to more more training time on the pitch like more he will be in and around more squads because there aren't a huge amount of other Scottish strikers even there aren't a huge well I can stop there there aren't a huge amount of other Scottish strikers who are within a sniff of the of the Scotland squad at the moment. I think my my kind of summary with the whole thing is a couple of years ago the frustration was we just don't have enough good players. The frustration with Saturday is we have a lot of very good players, even even missing the 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 bunch that we had through injury. Mm-hmm. That is still a very good squad with players playing at a very high level. We need them to start clicking. We need to be doing more to get the most out of what's a pretty talented group. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it. A bit strange one about Clark getting the, the new contract. It does, it's not that I'm, I'm, I, I personally would have done it, but I just didn't see the rush. I, give him, he still had something to prove. He still has to prove that, yes, he managed to get the results and get us over the line to get to a tournament, which is a big, huge green tick. But getting us playing a style and a consistent sort of shape where we all know exactly what's going to happen when we watch a Scotland team. He's not achieved that yet. And that's what, and that's what deserved a new contract, in my opinion. That's what, it would, if he'd got us firing and us looking sort of like, you know exactly what you're going to get when Scotland train it and we're not going to take a tanker off anyone. We're really going to be able to go toe-to-toe and be, go to Denmark, for example. And I'm not saying win, but you're not sitting there basically just fearing for your life. You're going there thinking, if we catch someone on a slight off day, then we've got the ability and the cohesion to, to take advantage. Something that's been a big scene part of, of the game is we seem to see Robertson turn up in the box and around the box quite a lot in Patterson. So those wing-backs get, get involved very hard. And just, I just wanted to talk about the frustrating thing I have when ever Andy Robert, we seem to get Andy Robertson in the better attacking positions shooting-wise than maybe any other player on the pitch. <laughs> and and, 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 he, and he, he can't fucking do it, man. And it's always the same error of not getting his knee over the ball and drilling it and he even when he hits it on target he hits it high towards the bar of the goalkeeper's throat or it goes miles over the bar and that's really starting to annoy me because as I said the way our shape and everything works is he's the guy that's getting in there it, it, it is frustrating I think there's so there's there's two sides to that one of them is <laughs> Like just next time we've got Scotland training, just throw the ball at Andy Robertson twelve yards out with a bit of pace at it, and just get him to keep practicing hitting it across the goalkeeper. Mm. Just keep doing that, keep practicing. Because he might not that. get to do that at, at, at Liverpool, like because he with us it's different because we it's have him pushing job. inside. We have him pushing inside a bit because we have Tierney coming up. So it is there is a subtle difference that yeah. Robertson will get near the goal. And he's a left. He's an out and out left back at, mm. at Liverpool. Like he, his his attacking position is far deeper than it 
it's expected to be for Scotland. The other thing, though, is if 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 it's Andy Robertson who keeps arriving late and it's Andy Robertson that's getting on to the end of things, you have far bigger problems than Andy Robertson <laughs> finishing. Like, we, should, we should not be reliant on one of our wingbacks getting on the end of things when there are nominally two, certainly, well, there, there are two strikers on the pitch plus Ryan Christie, and I don't think you can ever class Ryan Christie as a central midfielder. Right, so what do you think about Tuesday? Very quick. Quickly, Tom. Tomorrow, I, night. I, ho- I hope we go for the jugular. I hope, like they're they are, they need they need a result. But this is not the Austria that uh, their managers under incredible pressure. Um, they've got a couple of injuries. I wouldn't imagine they're going to be as bad as apparently they were uh, uh, against Israel. But I would hope that we're not just right camp it play for a point I we can't we can't line up as openly as we would did against Moldova we do have a couple of injuries which probably well a couple of players that pulled out which will mean that we we have to shuffle things around a little bit but this is not a this is not the Austria that we thought we had when the group was mm. was drawn at the moment you know tr- treat it like the Treated like showdown. When we got when we got um, when the group was drawn, when you get any group, if you can hit twenty points, then you are in with a very good chance. If we beat if we beat Austria, we should be on course, barring some sort of fuck up that only Scotland tend to do, to at least hit 20, 21 points. And you know what? If you hit twenty one points and you don't finish second, fine. The yeah. gods are against you, but. A draw tomorrow, and we're probably even even if everything goes our way, we'd still be looking to get something from Denmark in the last game, which I'd rather not be in that position. Whereas, very quickly, and you've got total recency bias bias with international football. Very quickly, if we get a result tomorrow, um, we get we'll get 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 result against Austria, then this international triple header has suddenly got a very very different spin on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things can change overnight. Us bitching and moaning, and here yeah. on a on a Monday evening, and then the guys on on Wednesday or Thursday sort of celebrating uh, a, a sort of pretty one massively important result, and that's what can maybe kick a team into gear and maybe find that identity that that I talk about that we're that we are searching for. But let's go all the way back, Tom, to the tenth of September 1985, where David Bowie and Mick Jagger had a number one single with Dancing in the Street. And we also, number one movie was Back to the Future, Tom, mm. which I'm sure is a favourite of yours like everyone's. It is. It's a favourite of everyone's. It's, it's now classic cinema. It's properly, good, you know, properly concrete, 100% classic, classic cinema now. Yeah, love it. And that was for the 1986 World Cup, UEFA Group 7 World Cup qualification. And we're going to be talking about what is looked at about an incredibly sombre night um, where Scotland drew one each with Wales away. And like, the bit that, that caught me about this, Tom, was uh, away even from the Jock Steen stuff. It sounded like just so much was going on in British football at this time. Yeah, Politically, 
um, really interesting times. Football in general had kind of slight <laughs> two sides to it. On one side of it, the the football hooliganism, not just in England, but the the focus very much on England and and the worst examples of it in England had meant it, it was it was just shortly after the the Heysel, um Heysel Stadium disaster, so th- there was a, a real focus on. British football and you know don't want to say that Scottish football didn't have its hooliganism elements at the time either but it, there had not been an incident like that and um, I think initially you, um, off the back of high school British teams teams across the whole of the UK had had been banned from European football and that had been rescinded but un- unfairly the government at the time in the UK had a real problem with football for political reasons. Um, it, it Just very interesting times, very turbulent times politically, very divided, uh, a very divided time, especially if you were not in South East England, really. Uh, it seemed, um, I mean, one of the last things Jockstein done was um, sort of argue back uh, against mm-hmm. Margaret Thatcher because he felt that uh, Scottish, uh, well, sort of British football fans, there was going to be a crackdown on them and he could sort of tell what was coming and he sort of tried to use his stature, which was obviously huge at the time to, to argue against it. And in terms of the Welsh FA, it, it looked a really tough time for them. Like we'd scrapped the the home internationals, so the Welsh FA were in a, a really poor financial state. They'd desperately got Cardiff to be chosen as a venue. And then Alan Evans said it was literally life or death. And it had to be at the Cardiff Arms Park. And a 62,500 crowd would ensure profits over half a million, but they got bumped off from that in the end, which by the, the Welsh Rugby Union, they didn't want to, to host a football event after what had happened in, in Heysel. And um, there's something that's quite upset I find and it's the same here I think we, we still not aren't there the sort of, we, our, 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 our sports don't seem to come together at all mm. uh, to support each other so you're talking about like the Welsh FA talk about life or death and they're in such a poor financial state and they'd had so many close so I mean I imagine when you qualify for tournaments there's big money involved for, for the FA and they'd had some close hits I mean they'd missed out Due to last-minute goals, he missed out due to um, goal difference, which happened again uh, in, in this tournament. In this game, went went a huge way to to making sure that happened. But it's just interesting to see all that time ago, and I still don't see sort of like rugby union in in Scotland or the or the SFA really coming together at any point to do it with our clubs or 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 or, or vice versa. No, very very divided worlds politically I think and I don't think it's always the case I mean there are it definitely is the case in some parts of the world as well but I think in most in in large parts of Western Europe there's uh, there's no there's either no one single national stadium or if there's big government funded municipal stadiums then they're multi-use yeah but I think there's a there's quite probably less so in Wales, but there's certainly some quite deep-seated political division between certainly between rugby and football. 
yeah, I mean, it borders into class, which is probably like mm. one of the, mm-hmm. the biggest dividers in the, I'm not sure, I, I mean, it's all over the world class, but I always feel the UK is really um, divided by class. But enough about the politics. I mean, let's, let's, let's go to the game. Scotland lined up with, um, sort of like, we had Jim Layton in goals, uh, who had to come off at halftime because he'd lost his, he, he, he sort of couldn't, he was dropping crosses and it turned out that he'd lost one of his contact lenses and it was uh, a really funny story that no one really knew about that and Jock Steen certainly didn't and so Jim Layton was possibly the last man to ever feel the the true wrath of of Jock Steen on, on the day because apparently he absolutely lost the plot at halftime at Jim Layton. As 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 well you might. I mean, they hadn't told Sir Alex Ferguson, who had been his manager for what must have been nine, eight, seven, eight years previously. And you know, you would think that that's a fairly fundamental thing you you you, you tell your manager at some point. But you always um, have you always have extra at the touchside and stuff like that. You yeah, think you would have stuff like that. And the, these are not like. You know, this is not back in the day when when people had contact lenses and or you have like another couple in your bag. These are like back in the yield and steampunk <laughs> contact lenses, which were like forged in volcanoes. <laughs> not quite the same thing. So yeah, he lost a contact lens and had to be subbed at halftime for for Alan Ruff. Alan Ruff came on, and we'll not we'll not go too much at Alan Ruff. I mean, he took a bit of a beating on here the last time. I bit him trying to steal beef from. <laughs> From Safeway, so we'll, we'll leave old Ruffy alone this time. But we also had um, the Dundee United duo of Richard Goff and Morris Malpass, and then Roy Aitken of Celtics. So it's quite a defensive team. This, I mean, you're, there's five defenders in there, out and out defenders. You would argue Roy Aitken, Alex McLeish, and Willie Miller. Scotland went to this despite being in a a much stronger position than Wales because Wales sort of lost their opening two games to Iceland and Spain. Um, and obviously everyone, Spain, I think, had been finalists in the last um, Euros, Euros or, or World Cup. So they were sort of expected to go and win it. So it was thought of as a bit of a straight shootout between Scotland and Wales and, and Iceland would be at the bottom. So, But we went in the, not quite as favourites because we were missing quite a lot of players apparently, and maybe that lends itself to why we had sort of five, because there are sort of five guys you can hang your hat on in terms of Scotland, they're, they're big names in that team. Uh, it's at McLeish and Willie Miller. Then you go into the midfield, that's Steve Nicol from Liverpool, uh, Gordon Strachan, who was at Manchester United by this time, and uh, Jim Bett, the Aberdeen legend there. And then up front, where I think is safe to say is maybe where we were lacking a bit, uh, was Graham Sharp and David Speedy. Yeah, I mean, arguably, I mean, to think that the 86 squad is arguably the best group of players that we're not necessarily for this game individually, but like we, that that was a hell of a group of players, regardless of like the, the level that the Scottish teams were at domestically and where they were playing if they weren't playing domestically. And we could kind of, like you say, we, 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 there, were, there were issues up front, but... You know, we could afford to not to be missing. You know, your Graham Sunnises and your Kenny Steve Dugleish. Archibalds and yeah. Ken Dugleish, Alan wow. Hansen. Um, <laughs> you know, like you could you could afford. That. Yeah, like that's a great point. Look at that defense, and you're still Alan Hansen to, to sort of come into that. It's, yeah, I mean, pretty pretty wild that that. But this was a very very good Welsh side as well. Like mm. the, you know, 
Neville Southall, Pat Van Den Howe, Kevin Ratcliffe at, at an Everton team that were one of the best in Europe. Mark Hughes, I think a year before he went to, was it a year before he went to Barcelona? It was a year, yeah, a year before he went to Barcelona. Um, Ian Rush, even there's kind of players that they had on the the, the edge of things, you know, like Clayton Blackmore's and um, Mickey Thomas and, and and David Phillips and players like that were were very good players. Um, so I, you can kind of understand why why Steam thought right. We we need a point. A point will do us. Um, so we'll sit in, and we do have injuries, and we maybe missing some of our more creative players. But it was it's, it's a pretty dangerous game to be to be playing as well against a, a very very good Welsh side, and and it ended up that was that that kind of came to pass because they absolutely battered us in the first half. Yeah, you were mentioning that that Everton team uh, with Pat Vendenhow, and I've got a nice link for you. Is um, obviously we mentioned that Mick Jagger was number one at this point. But he was married at this point to Mandy Smith, who is the former wife of Bill Wyman, the uh, the bassist of the Rolling Stones. A, a seamless segue from <laughs> Scotland's 1985 clash with Wales to the Rolling Stones. Yes. <laughs> uh, they unfortunately did divorce um, in 1987 <laughs> after and separated for for two years, but. I mean, it must have been cool to to walk into to Wales into Cardiff and, and and be married to like the Rolling Stones bassist wife, even if it was short lived. Um, yeah, you were I was right. Gonna say, I was going to say that she must have only been about like what twenty one at that point. But I've just looked, and she was about twenty one at that point in her second marriage. <laughs> it was different times. It was different different times. times different times. Uh, yeah, and um, sort of like he wasn't the only character in that. That Wales team, um, Mickey Thomas, I would be remiss to not. <laughs> I didn't realize this uh, about Mickey Thomas, but he had some life, Tom. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could say that. Um, <laughs> involved in, in counterfeiting and, and money laundering through through Wrexham. Um, had spent 18, 18 months in jail. Um, yeah, I had. I think got he got stabbed in the arse as well. Yeah, multiple uh, times. It sounds. I, I was reading up about that. Was one that caught my eye. You'll you'll not be surprised to to know, Tom. Uh, but yeah, it was like a businessman used his wife as bait to um, sort of like as a as a sex game to get Mickey Thomas in. And then once they were they were in there, the the, the guy just came in and. He, he sort of stabbed him in the in the arse and the body with a with a screwdriver by two men, um, and he was threatening to to cut his penis and his ears off, and his his legs would be would be broken. So um, let that be a lesson to anyone who's let, let that be a lesson. To you. But, but also, a, like a, a really really good player, it must be said of like a really really good player. One of my just around about the time that I really got into football, um, the big giant killing in the FA Cup when like the FA Cup was like a cool thing that, that if you grew up in Scotland you still wanted to watch the FA Cup game the, that kind of all-conquering George Graham Arsenal side yeah, yeah. Knocked, knocked out the FA Cup by Wrexham 
and Mickey Thomas must have been 40 years old, scoring like an absolute screamer of a free kick. And I used to buy Shoot magazine in yeah, yeah. whatever that was, 92 maybe, 93. Um, and they had like a, a double gatefold centre poster of Mickey Thomas's uh, free kick against the Arsenal game, which... Um, my brother had on his bedroom. Was, was, it, was he the same one that scored the last minute goal that won Arsenal the league? Or was it Liverpool the league? That was Michael Thomas. That was, yeah, is that different? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think it was. That, it, was. That, it was that team, that Arsenal yeah. team that needed to go to Liverpool and won 2 0. Mm-hmm. And then the next season, I think it's the next season, they, the last season, so I think it was the last season of the old first division in the F, when the FA Cup was on. Um, yeah, he, Arsenal played against Wrexham. And I have no idea what division Wrexham were in. Maybe like, but it was not high, and uh, Wrexham beat them two two one. And the shoot headline was Wrexham Wrexham. Oh, the um, yeah, but then unfortunately he ran into Jeffrey Dean's thirty year old wife he Erica. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he proceeded to have sex with her in a car in a field, and she escaped prison because she has two young children, uh, and is expecting another. And she was pressured by her husband in the plot. Uh, and she ended up just doing 180 hours community service. And he uh, got stabbed up the arse. And lot. he got stabbed. And Edward and the judge told uh, her that her conduct was shameful. Um, so um, <laughs> I think she got off relatively lightly there. But I mean, I, I can imagine it's not too much of a reach to imagine the husband, businessman, being the one driving this and her probably being in, um, being threatened herself. I, I, I mean, I... I I wouldn't want to speculate, but I think you're not. I mean, that's an entirely feasible version of it. <laughs> right. So let's sort of get back. I mean, another character I really wanted to talk about, Tom, was was Neville Southall. Mm, um, big Nev. I mean, you, he's 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 a dreamboat, really, isn't he? What a wonderful, wonderful man. It's like sort of just like totally shits on how, p- how people of his age are considered. Yeah, I mean. He, like his Twitter is just it's fascinating like he's uh, uh, everything you would goes against everything you would expect from like a typical 1980s 90s think still was playing into the 2000s but you know a man in his 60s who had the best part of 100 caps for Wales um, the antithesis of a kind of uh, businessman shagging arse-stabbing um, man of <laughs> libertine. He's like incredibly progressive, seems to want to learn a lot more about the world around him as it's evolving, incredibly open-minded and just seems like a good good guy. He raises money for charity, works with disadvantaged children, uh, does an awful lot about... Um, like still, still, I think coaches youth mm-hmm. teams in, in in Wales, and I mean, like a, a, an unbelievably, unbelievably good goalkeeper. Um, let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah. Let's not forget that. Like in his time, it's just an, an unbelievably good goalkeeper for who I think I'm right in saying played in four different four different decades mm-hmm. at a very high level. Does a lot for charity. Does a lot for progressive causes. Does a lot for LGBT community. Just. Yeah, not if you were to paint a portrait like a, to to build a character of a, a footballer of that era, Neville Southall is the absolute opposite of that. Like, yeah, teetotaler, 
level-headed, forward-thinking philanthropist. Accepts, yeah, accepts that he's wrong. Like he doesn't know yeah. everything, and he's happy just to to be. Because I love the idea that he he doesn't. Because it was a Donald McRae article that I was reading from 2018 when I was sort of looking it up. I think it was a Guardian article. And uh, he was sort of angry about the article when he was doing it. He had to really beg him to sit down and talk to him about his career and about him, because that's what the article's made about, because he normally doesn't want to do that. He normally he was hoping that the paper would come and he'd be able to shine the spotlight on, as you're saying, the LGBT community or drugs helpline, suicide bereavement, sex workers. And he's got, and, and so that's what he does with his, um, his Twitter feed. He basically just, he, he hands it over to someone so he uses his sort of profile. So he's got 134,000 followers and he just plugs plugs products. So you'll get someone on who knows more about it than he does and inequalities in the world. And then they just take over his Twitter account for a couple of hours and he gets people to ask questions and he sits back and learn. And a beautiful thing to say, my kids were taught, asking me questions about um, transgender community and LGBT. And he just admitted that he didn't know. So he just went away and, and got people to come and talk to them about it. And he's saying that there's he, he's a big advocate of there's you can get these people together. You know, there's millions of people in that community. There's millions of transgender people, but they're all so separated. If you get them together, then suddenly you can make change because you cannot listen to, to millions of people and the government would have to listen. And it's just, um, like I said, then Don McCray said he had to beg him to, to do it because once he came, he nearly, he nearly pissed off. He was like, no, I'm, I'm not interested if it's just going to be the usual conversations that I have with, with journalists, that's not what I'm here for. And um, yeah, I mean, he's, 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 he's great fun. He's great fun as well. It's not like he's not preachy at all. He's just very accepted that he doesn't know. And I just really wanted to have a, a little bit of appreciation for, for Neville Southall, who's, um, as we said, um, a good egg. A good egg, yeah. They are the complete opposite of what you expect of a footballer coming out of the 80s, to be fair. The complete opposite, you know, about a football, he comes out in 2021, unfortunately, that being the, Very true. The, the the worst bet. But we we went behind in this game, Tom. Yeah, uh, and really kind of struggled to get a foothold in, in the first half. Um, we... Pro- I mean, we kind of did... We, well, we not, didn't just kind of, we absolutely invited... Them onto us and Mark Hughes caused all sorts of problems. Um, Ian Rush, Ian Rush scored for for Wales. They had a couple of no, it was Mark Hughes did it. Oh, sorry, it was was, it, was it Mark Hughes. Yeah, he scored his sixth goal in ten games oh. for for um for for Wales, and it was quite cool right, seeing right. him because we obviously we all got to see him. You, you're a, you're a slightly older than me, so you might. But I remember him sort of when he was coming more towards the end. I was curious, but he was still fucking brilliant when, when yeah. I was growing up. He's like the, the, the sort of the greatest volleyer of a ball I've possibly ever seen. And he was so aggressive. But to see him like that, he must have been such a handful back then. Like just a a, a constant pest and like quite dirty as well. Mm. But like, and the sort of player that if he was on your side, you you know, you'd just love him because he was just a constant pest, moved around a lot. Like, and unbelievable volleyer of the ball really good at diving headers as well like just yeah, yeah. Anticip- anticipated um where the ball was going to drop like very very few um I've, I've ever seen yeah quite right so he he scored um but he was constantly causing problems um they Wales have chances Ian Rush probably should have scored um Jim Layton had a couple of good saves from 
um, from from Mark Hughes, who who probably should have scored again. And we were at, we were we were pretty lucky to only be one behind at halftime. And then, as I said, Alan Ruff came on. We went in the second half, and then the big moment for us, really, if you look at, it, is Gordon Strachan was taken off, and Rangers hero David Cooper was popped on the pitch, and then. Safe to say we got a dodgy penalty, Tom. We got a dodgy penalty. I mean, we, we, we probably should have had a penalty. We probably should have had a penalty slightly earlier on. David Speedy was fouled in the box and that looked quite like a penalty. But it's safe to say that we got a, a soft, soft penalty um, that, you know, allegedly David Phillips handled the ball <laughs> I don't think even the the harshest of VAR referrals would would suggest there was anything intentional in it or any making. But you know, like it, it doesn't even hit him. On it. I don't know. It enjoy might. enjoy the commentary of that bit because it's clearly a Welsh guy saying how harsh it is, and then a Scottish guy comes in, comes in. I'm not sure who they are. Who comes in. I mean, it definitely hits his arm. It definitely. It, no, definitely. I mean, in fairness, it definitely does hit a part <laughs> of his arm. We will say that, but. Yeah. Um, We'll take it, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll take it. And um, you get the feeling that we maybe needed it in that game. We needed a break in that game. And then David Cooper got the goal and Southall probably should have saved it, I would argue. When he, when you get the replay behind the goals, he gets down more than early enough. He should actually probably save it quite comfortably. Yeah, I, he, would, he was either unlucky or just didn't have enough conviction of what he was doing with it, but... But you know that must again, happen a fair we'll bit as a goalie it. because you must you maybe lie on the other foot and then you go for it and then you're not sure you're not quite as ready as you are when you're making saving a shot from out of the goal. One thing I wanted to mention is how fucking good the crowd looked um, mm. at these periods, like with all the flags and it just it was like attendance was only like thirty nine and a half thousand, but it looked it was like one of those to me where it looked like it was a hundred thousand people in there and nobody had a seat and everyone was on top of it as these videos so often do. Um, when you watch it and, and everyone going crazy and it was a huge result for Scotland at the end and, and it was sort of mean enough creeping towards securing our place at the World Cup at Wales' expense and then unfortunately um, sort of Jock Steen um, had collapsed after the game and it was found out that he'd been quite unwell or people thought he'd looked unwell but being Jock Steen probably didn't want to let anyone know and just knew he had a job to be doing. Yeah, I, I, there there had been kind of signs in the in the build up, and Alex Ferguson had mentioned that he thought he looked like pale and sweaty, and that things weren't right. I, I, it must be incredibly difficult. Like, I mean, it, it it must be difficult, at, you know, walking down the street seeing someone who doesn't look well, mm-hmm. but noticing somebody not looking well when you're in an incredibly stressful environment when. You know, you need to hang on to, to when you care about it as much as much as Jock mm-hmm. Steen obviously did. It's very easy to say, you know, why didn't anybody say what what's up? And it ultimately, it also transpired that he wasn't taking his medication as as was advised. But for for um, heart failure, just incredibly sad. Um, mm. The the initial aftermath seemed to be that he was stable he'd been kind of taken down the the, the tunnel and uh, the doctors and um the sfa staff had had kind of tended to him immediately and he seemed to be stable but um after after he apparently seemed to be 
in a comfortable position. Um, he was pronounced dead half an hour after the final whistle, and it just yeah. So that from the from the highs of qualifying to one of the darkest days in Scottish football ever. So um, it just seems so bizarre because when you see you actually see him getting carried off, and he's got his eyes open. So, so you think he's all right, and, and if you don't know that he's unwell or anything, it actually looks like. See if it's nothing to do with health. It looks like the most iconic photo, uh, video of all time of him being carried away by four policemen. If you don't know that he's that he's unwell, he, like at first glance, you would think he's done something really naughty, yeah. <laughs> and like and they're, and, they're, and they're dragging him off, and it's the proper old style police hats, and it actually looks, as I said, it could look like arguably like a really iconic video but then obviously you find out that what's what's actually but i noticed that's the first time i had when i'd looked at it it was the first time i thought at first like that could just look like wow what what an absolute legend he's lost it at someone and then they're taking him down the brian moore the commenter commentator had said that when he was when he's taken off that he was like overcome with emotion yeah because of it and you can see why he thought that and then obviously realizing that it was a lot more serious than that. Sad, sad day. And like you said, it's just, in a nutshell, suddenly that game doesn't matter much like um, sort of with Liam Kelly when, when his father died uh, for, at Kilmarnock. It uh, just puts everything in perspective. And um, I don't really think there's there's anything else to say really about it. And um, on that sad, sombre note, I think we'll call it, a night there, we're going to be moving over to, to Patreon uh, to do a new series that we think is, we came up with off top for heads today when we were looking for content. Let's be deadly serious. <laughs> uh, let's be honest. Um, it's going to be called um, Big Match Memories, uh, which opens, it keeps it as broad as we like. And we're going to be talking this tonight, since it's me and Tom, we're going to be talking about maybe a bit of the history, about Hibs and Aberdeen fixtures, because a few of the classic games, we're not going to be very general, classic games, classic players, uh, maybe a bit of the history of the fandom. I mean, we're talking about football hooliganism here. I mean, Hibs and Aberdeen had some cracking, uh, <laughs> if you want to call them that, running battles in the 80s and sort of like, and I, I have a page that's dedicated to it that I found on Wikipedia that's just about uh, Hibs hooliganism and uh, the fights they had with, with Aberdeen. So if you want to come over and sort of listen to that Green Street stuff, then please come and join us uh, and we'll be talking at length about the classic games between Hibs and Aberdeen. But uh, thanks very much for listening and have a lovely evening. Say goodbye, Tom. Bye. Sorry. No, it's fine. It's ruined it. (laughs) Good night. Podcast Network.